This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. You're hearing from Coal March and Triangle Pest Control's Donnie Shelton and PCO Bookkeepers, PCO M&A Specialist, and Turf Books Dan Gordon, as well as some of the biggest players in the pest control and lawn care industries. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what's changing in the industry, and we also take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes in the industry. Thanks again. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Pest Control and CEO of Colmarch, a company that provides digital marketing and sales services for the home uh, services industry, specifically pest and lawn. With me is my colleague, Mr. The Esteemed. Should I say The Esteemed? You can. That would be the greatest. The greatest. Yep. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some sort of adjective. I, I just can't. I don't know. But Mr. Dan Gordon, Dan, would you like to say hello to everyone? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, uh, Fractional ICFO Services, uh, M&A Services, uh, Tax Preparation, Audit Representation. You name it, we do it if it's financial. And, uh, uh, you know, for the lawn and pest industry. And uh, today I'm pretty excited. Uh, we have a, a, a guest who, um, we actually brought him to our team at PCO Bookkeepers and PCO m and um, uh, Our guest I've known for, for many years. Um, and uh, his name is Andrew de La Chapelle. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about is using data analytics to grow your business. So Andrew's no stranger to the pest control industry. And prior to joining us, he worked for uh, WorkWave or, or PestPack uh, for, for many years, uh, working with hundreds of uh, PMPs to measure performance of their fleet and providing ways to minimize the overall risk in the field. And that ultimately led to uh, joining them uh, to build out three of their core modules, which was GPS, route optimization, and mobile, uh, working hand-in-hand -hand with customers to increase their operational efficiency in the field. And that provided valuable information. And, uh, you know, as technology gets better and better, we get more and more data. And data analytics has really become a thing. And it's a thing that, that people use to build their businesses. And uh, so I can't tell you how excited I am to have Andrew join our team. And uh, I thought that I would kind of bring him out today and, 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 and let him talk to, uh, to, to uh, you know, the folks who listen to this podcast. So, Andrew, welcome. Hey, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Donnie. Appreciate having uh, you know the opportunity to be here this afternoon. So it's pretty cool. It really is. A lot so, of excitement. Yeah. So, great so one you. of the things that I always do is, or I talk about is, uh, how do you know if you're winning at the game of business? And uh, you look at your financials. It's the value of your company. And there's there's all kinds of things. But how do you keep score in the game of business? Is increasing the value of your business right? Or are there other metrics you look at? What uh, what do you think? I think? You know, it's it's a handful. I mean, it's everything. You got you got numbers don't lie. So you know, owners who increase the value of their business in terms of revenue and profitability, it's paramount to their future success. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, you know, one of the benefits to 
you know, successfully growing their businesses, they'll realize uh, that they're providing a great place to work, which is really rewarding. Uh, they're more involved in their community and charitable outreach, uh, which not only helps the immediate you know, company and the employees, but everyone in the communities that they serve. Uh, they can also offer better benefits and better pay uh, that attracts better help and better employees, uh, which in turn positively impacts the continued and successful growth of their company. So uh, there's really, you know, there's a handful of metrics um, that these owners should be keenly aware of and paying close attention to um, so they can continue to, to watch their company grow. So, um, you know, it's really their responsibility to oversee all the financials, financials uh, them and, and a team that they might have on board. Uh, CFO, uh, operations off, you know, manager and things like that. But together, they should uh, really monitor and and see the see the reporting on a regular basis to really see how they're performing overall as a company. So it's it's kind of interesting. You brought up uh, like uh, obviously operational metrics, financial metrics, marketing metrics, but you brought up a great place to work, uh, uh, doing charitable things in the community. These are intangibles that help build the business that build the you know, that, that, that uh, you know, give you uh, data that's positive, you know, data can be negative and it can be positive. But, uh, you know, um, one of the things that we, we talked about is going down rabbit holes in, the, in this podcast. But what, what uh, do you think that, uh, you know, those intangibles, how does that affect your data? How does, how does good culture, um, you know, uh, a, a great place to work, how, how does that affect things? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, Having great culture, I mean that that's that's like of utmost importance. I mean, if you have a a great working, um, you know, all the employees are working together, they're pulling together, they're forging ahead. Uh, it's just it makes life a lot easier for these business owners. I mean, I've watched guys grow from like you know one or two routes up to 10, 20, even as as many as fifty routes. Um, a lot of it had to do with the culture uh, within the company. You know, and it's hiring the right people. It's it's keeping that momentum moving forward. That's really what it is. And culture is is so key to that, Dan. So I have a kind of a question, more of a topic maybe. And this is actually going to be for both Dan and Andrew. You know, I we, we go to conferences. We talk to a lot of folks. Not lately, right? COVID kind of sacked conferences. But now they're all virtual. I guess they still happen, whatever. But, you know, everyone knows, yeah. I should be watching my numbers. Yeah, I should be metricing, you know, the important aspects, marketing, sales, you know, operations, you know, routing, all those things that you would typically think of. And yet I am shocked at how many people don't like, you know what I mean? Like they don't, I mean, you know, they, they all know it. Right. And they all like, yeah, absolutely. Right. But they just don't value it. You know, and I and I wonder, like, is it a case of like, well, I don't know how to do it. So therefore, if I ignore it, it'll just kind of not won't hurt me. And Dan, I've got to believe I know for a fact, listen, on my side with with Internet marketing, it's pretty easy. Right. Because I can, you know, as soon as I get someone on board, I can kind of even if they don't have the metrics, we we the infrastructure is already built. Right. Google already has analytics. I mean, all, all the stuff's there. But but in the case of a business. It's a little different. So, Dan, I've got to believe that you see this. Yeah, all your it, clients come to you knowing their numbers. They all come to you fully squared away, right? I mean, but it's a question. Like, why does that, how is this, why is it so difficult? The beauty of a recurring 
revenue model is it's very forgiving once you've built it. Right. So I had a client who did their marketing. Well, you're a digital marketer. He spent a boatload of money on uh, posters on a train, on a commuter train that goes into New York City. And, you know, it, he his reasoning was that commuters are going into the city and seeing his poster on on the train, which is like a billboard. And he's a very large company. And the fact of the matter, he could spend 50 or 75 thousand dollars on that. And, you know, it would just kind of wash through his P&L. But he didn't have any stats on it. I said, man, you spent all of this money on it. What did you bring out of it? Oh, well, you know, my neighbors said that, uh, you know, that they saw me on, on, the, on the way to the city and stuff. And, and you're just like, okay, but what numbers? And, and you know, are you looking at the metrics or is it an ego thing? Because I felt like it was an ego thing. And he plainly admitted, he goes, well, maybe it is. But, uh, you know, what, are, what, are, what, you know, what's your take on that, Andrew? No, I, you know, it's funny you bring up a funny story is not being able to measure your marketing. And, you know, I'm going to go back years ago when my father uh, retired and, and became a uh, bed and breakfast owner on Cape Cod. And so he, he had, I think, like seven or eight different phone numbers. So this is before Google and, and the Internet and all that. But he would use a, the same phone number in certain publications. So he knew where his his the ultimate calls were coming from. And then he'd assess those calls and see which magazines or publications actually brought him the most revenue or the you know number of bookings yeah. for the hotel. Um, but it's funny that you brought that up because I was the guy known, you know, unless he put some type of you know um, QR code or something on that billboard, if people were actually even uh, calling in because of that. So no, I, I think a lot of business owners. Uh, I, I think part of it is. They're they're great. They're awesome. Uh, they know how to how to kill bugs. They've done it for years. They start off in the trenches, or in our, in their case, in the in the crawl spaces, uh, and they work their way up. But as far as like the training and the the financial background and the education to to understand what metrics are most important, I don't think a lot of business owners have ever been trained in that. It's something they learn or something that they want to dive into as they become more successful. Um, and I was obsessed with the financials and my ratios when I ran my company. I mean, it, it, if it wasn't done weekly, I was—I mean, I was on top of it at all at all times. You know, I, I had to know how we were doing. If we weren't winning, we were losing. Um, so, you know. I was just gonna just one thing here. I—I I, I know something common that I see is, you know, and Andrew, you bring up a great point. I think a lot of folks start. And they have great instincts, right? Either they've been in the industry, they kind of know in general, like I should be doing this. And so they do well, right? And so they're like, yeah, you know, I don't necessarily need to track, you know, X, Y, and Z, or I don't need to track every little aspect of my business. You know, they, those analytics are nice, but they're not extremely important. But the problem that I see is a lot of those folks, they never really scale, right? When it, you know, they, they kind of roll it up to the point where it's like, okay, that's about as far as, you know, winging it is going to get you. If you want to scale much larger as a business, you've got to start measuring. And so, so having said that, let's just say there's someone out there. I know none of our listeners are following this category, by the way, not one of them, but let's just assume for a moment that there is someone out there who's new and they're, yeah. You know, so, so while they're growing their business, what are the important metrics for them to measure? Like what is the, I guess I would say, what are the essentials that someone, okay, I've been, I am guilty as charged. I know most of my numbers. I don't know all of them. Where should they start? 
you know, I, I would look at my, my overall revenues uh, on a regular basis, my month to month, my quarterly annual revenues, and then compare that to my recurring revenue. Um, ultimately, you know, you really, their growth and their success is really the recurring revenue over non-recurring revenue. I mean, I, Dan and I have spoken to a lot of people. I know a lot of people that they're, they may have, you know, 50% recurring revenue and 50% non-recurring, uh, and they're, they're extremely successful. But, um, you know, the goal is, in my mind, uh, and probably many others, and, uh, is really getting those recurring revenues up. Um, you know, to 75, 80% off or say 75% of the overall revenues. Um, reporting to customers, locations of customers. I mean, it's, and the service types. I mean, I've seen a lot of companies, they have 60 different service types, which that just fumbles all the numbers around because now you can't really hone in on your most profitable service types uh, and locations of, of your customers. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you look at, uh, some of these companies that are doing extremely well today, uh, and it's because of the density of their customers. It's it's less time that their techs are on the road because they can service more accounts in less amount of hours, um, and that's that's huge. I mean that 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 just helps grow the company. Um, so I, you know, I look at the recurring, non-recurring. I look at all my customers, where my customers are located, um, the miles my techs are driving. You know, and, and given my techs, arm my techs with as much uh, technology as possible uh, to make their lives easier out in the field, whether that's using a mobile app, uh, you know, credit cards in the field, all that information. So it's kind of interesting. The, uh, uh, one of the, you know, you were at PESPAC, uh, you worked at PESPAC, and uh, my favorite report in PESPAC is the business valuation report. And there's a, oh, a, a, forecast, <laughs> a forecast report in Serve Suite and, uh, and uh, as well as pest routes. But basically, what that tells you is if I don't lose one customer or I don't gain one customer, here's what I'll do for the next year. Great for forecasting, budgeting, and forecasting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that, that's that's where you get that information. Um, well, one thing too, I will say is Andrew, you. 100% correct about the recurring side. I, I will never forget this. As you can imagine, anytime you run a company, I'm sure you're the most popular person in the world. At least you like to think of yourself as such. I know Dan is, uh, right? Everyone, uh, yeah, he's my idol. Absolutely. So I'm sitting in a meeting. This was this was probably like, I don't know, probably about seven years ago at Triangle. And, you know, everyone's just like doing high fives. We're killing it. You know what I mean? Like we're up like 40 some percent. And everyone's just like, oh, it's all great. And we start digging into the numbers. Guess where all of our growth was coming from? Bed bug one time. Bed bug, yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. And I realized, I was like, yeah, man, we're killing. I'm like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Everyone, back up off the juice here for a moment. You are don't no high fives, no victory laps. Of course, I go in and I burst everyone's bubble. Right? I'm like, the number one number you absolutely should be looking at is what is our recurring revenue growth because that's what's going to give you your growth for the following year. And, you know, just as well as I do, right, you sell those big contracts, everything's great. But if you don't have the recurring backing up, well, you got to resell it again next year and your growth is going to suck. Right. Yeah. It'll be like 5% growth and you're just like, oh, we're killing it. But really, you're, you're well, not. You saw what the pandemic, what, what COVID did to bed bug work. Right. I mean, it just yeah, it sacked it. Traveling and it, and it went down. It, it's kind of interesting. You know, when I got into the industry a long time ago, one of the things, one of the big 
insect issues that we had were fleas. I actually had three technicians who were just flea guys, right? That's all that they would do. And then the vets came up with their collars or whatever they did and fleas disappeared. And bed bugs didn't come out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, and I'm not a you know an entomologist or a scientist or anything, but but at some point the bed bug thing goes away, and we see. Ladies, it ladies and gentlemen, you heard that here first, uh, PMP industry <laughs> podcast. Can you say it one more time there, Dan? Bed, bed bugs, bugs are going away. Bed bug, okay, all right, all right, keep yeah. going. Sorry, but but we need something to replace it. So what's there? <laughs> mosquitoes, right? That's the new bed bugs. That's right. right. This year, so this past summer, yeah. then mosquitoes, right? But I like mosquitoes better because they are recurring in bed bug. There's a lot of people trying to make bed bug recurring, but it's it, it's it's not. It, it well, just I will tell you this too. At least at Triangle, our our mosquito service is one of the most profitable services that we oh. offer. It's yeah. ridiculous the margins on it, and I'm talking about gross margin. I'm not going to share actual numbers there, but so, so bringing that back around, you know, obviously, Andrew, I know you see a lot of folks, uh, Dan, you see a lot of folks and they, you know, they almost like they have a split personality, right? They are focused on a lot of one-time revenue. Um, maybe not as quite as focused on recurring revenue. And Dan, you know, my philosophy, I, I like the Southwest model less, you know, in, in my case, if it's not recurring residential pest, I'm not super interested in it. That's not to say that, Commercial is bad. Chasing one time is bad. It's just that's our wheelhouse. That's what we focus on. But, you know, you see folks doing things like tap. You see them doing, you know, Christmas lights. Um, you know, I mean, just kind of these other ancillary services. And by the way, I'm not saying they're bad. I know there's a lot of money to be made in that, even like bird control. Right. Um, but it doesn't to me, in my mind, it, you know, when it comes to building an investment, you know, once you get that revenue, you're you're kind of done. There's no more value left to it. And so well, Christmas lights are, are recurring, but definitely way far away from the pest model. But you're right. Tap and and, and even bird work, unless you really know what you're doing, like the, the, it's very seductive because you could get a hundred thousand dollar bird job. Right. But if you don't know what you're doing, uh, you know, you're going to mess it up. And if you're doing your budgeting for next year, what what do you do to replace that hundred thousand dollar bird job, right? So and for the record, because you know sometimes things I say on this podcast come back to bite me. So I'm just <laughs> for the record here. You know sometimes I say stuff I don't even think about, it and I get a phone call like, hey. But anyway, so just for the record, I'm not a tap hater. Okay, just want to throw that out there. Not a tap hater, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> Donnie's philosophy is, hey, I want to focus on residential recurring, uh, and tap if I can get it, great bird. I don't have anything to do with it, um, but that's just me. So, so getting back to um, analytics and 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 really looking at the right things, Andrew. I love what you said about you. You do need to know. You need to dig a little bit more into your revenue and to your growth and understand exactly where that growth's coming from. And don't take your eye off the ball in terms of growing that recurring because if you do if you do that, it's very easily you could be treading water. Um, yeah. So, so thoughts on that? I mean, anything to add to that before we move on? Or customer attention. Well, exactly. So I was going to mention that as well, Dan. It's like you know, so when you have, let's say, you have eighty percent recurring, and well, let's just look at recurring and non-recurring. You don't know if that non-recurring is going to, if that customer is going to come back. So think, think on customer churn. Is that is that a, is that going to increase your churn for a non-recurring customer? 
Yeah. So, I mean, customer retention is everything. That's what is, that's what keeps on the success of a company building upon its success is having those, not those recurring customers. So they can literally almost with, you know, utmost certainty retain a, a high percentage of those recurring customers. So it makes their lives easier as they go forward. Like you said, if all of a sudden uh, bed bug work dries up, now you gotta go out and find you know a few hundred thousand hours worth of, of new revenues, uh, which is you know that's burdening on on the sales reps and the teams and everybody. Um, so I would say recurring and non-recurring that leads right into customer retention. You know, I want to retain as many customers as I can. I want to retain those recurring revenue customers because that is my bread and butter. That is. Yeah, when we get done with 2021 uh, and, and a lot of these pest control owners look at their finances and start budgeting for 2022, yeah, that recurring to non-recurring, a lot of mosquito work is recurring, but is it going to come back next year? You know, after this, you know, for the northern pest control companies, will, will they retain those customers for the following year? Nobody knows. So you when you're forecasting and budgeting, um, really that recurring type of customer is, is paramount. You know, you know what's interesting is I, I was talking to a client, a mutual client of yours, Donnie, uh, of ours this morning, and uh, we were going through his P&L, and he's not as profitable as he wants to be, but his gross margins are terrific, right? And his G&A is terrific, right? But his sales and marketing are very high. And so he said to me, you know, am I spending too much on sales and marketing? And on the surface, his percentages, you know, the, the ratios were extremely high. And he said, but... I'm getting a ton of leads and my sales guys are closing at a very high level. And what we did is we drilled down into it to say, okay, well, if, if that's all happening, why is this so expensive? And what was happening was his attrition was so high that all of that sales and marketing money was just going to replace the stuff yeah. that he was using. Yep. And so oh. therefore his marketing and sales amounts that he's spending was way too much but yet all of his, the metrics with the marketing worked well because they were bringing in new clients. Yeah. Were losing them in life. yeah. AKA he had a massive hole, you know, he was trying to fill. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> ah, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I will say this, and, and this is absolutely, I, you know, when I was growing early on, when I was growing Triangle and we were a smaller company, man, we were killing it year after year. And of course I thought, I, I thought my hands were gold. I thought I was so great and so good. Uh, and I just, I still think stopped. you are, but well, I appreciate that, Dan, I, that, that definitely helps my ego, but yeah, I thought it was awesome I and I was no, doing really, really well. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then we got a little larger and at, and at 5%, you know, or the, whatever, I mean, I forgot what the percent was back then, but you know, our cancel rate, like I, I had, I, I ran into the same thing. I'm like, why the hell is it so hard to grow? And then I got really dialed in on our cancels because I realized at that point, it was almost more important that I managed my cancels way tighter than I did my sales and marketing because believe it or not, I could not outsell it. And so that was the big aha moment. And of course we could get into theory and we could get into how big companies manage that because they, you know, obviously if you're running a, a $5 million company, your cancel rate's going to hurt. But when you're running a $500 million company, now cancels really, I mean, it, it's almost impossible to outsell that and not, not impossible, but almost impossible. And so, so getting that back around, um, you know, and, and understanding how that, you know, how that plays into a metric that you absolutely should be looking at. One of the 
disclaimers I want to say on the podcast now, because I think this is really important, is that be really careful when you're out and, and, and you say, hey, look, my cancel rate is X. And another guy says, my cancel rate is 1%. Because I think statistics and analytics are absolutely critical. I also think that most people throw out numbers that they have no clue what they're talking about. They have or, no idea. <laughs> No idea what they're talking about. It sounds great, sounds great, right? Or they calculate it like you're like. I heard Donnie Shelton on a podcast say it needs to be this. Yeah, Donnie Shelton said you you know you should be running one and a half percent cancer rate. So so I guess my only point to that is is that whatever you pick, whatever formula you pick, because you'll find that even Dan and I don't track like he tracks dollars per hour, which is a very great way of tracking it. I track dollars per times the, t- the truck stops. And we've had this debate before. And we're not going to have it now. It's it's essentially the same thing. I think Dan's, and, and I hate to say this. I should say I hate to say it. I will acknowledge that his method is actually better when you look at. But to me, it's like, you know, my brain's not very big and I'm not very smart. So if the truck stops, how much money we're we making and what's that target? And can we track it? That's all I want to know. Right. And so bringing it all back, you know, I would just say be very careful about comparing and listening to what you might hear at a conference or someone say, because the way they calculate it may not be anywhere near what you're doing. And and I was just going to, I was going to throw a good thing in here for Dan. And by the way, Dan, you can, you can pay me after this, uh, after this podcast. That was one of the beautiful things about going with PCO is that there's a standardized P and L. Now I know if someone uses PCO, I start talking statistics. We would hope that they're going to be pretty well comparable because now we've got a standardized chart of account. Like even when someone talks about gross margin, well, what's going into their cost of goods sold, right? What's really going into, you know, you'll find crazy stuff. I don't know, like back patios that are going in their cost of goods sold. I don't know. Right? I, yeah. I mean, who knows, right? Brand new car. I don't know. But my point is, is like, you know, you absolutely cannot, the thing that people, they like, they, they want to compare, but they never question the assumptions, right? They never question like, well, where's that number really coming from? So anyway, I'm monologuing. I'll stop. I just want to put that yeah. disclaimer out yeah. because it's really important. So. <laughs> well, you know, the, the two guys that you used earlier, one guy saying, hey, my chart is one and a half. And the other guy's like, wow, minus five. Well, right. the guy at one and a half could be doing that monthly. That's his monthly churn, and the guy at five is his annual churn. So you know what? Again, it's, it's apples to oranges. There's no... Really got to be careful, like you said, of listening to other people and what their churn and is. There's lots of ways to calculate that attrition. Do you exactly. do it off of, of, of the beginning year count? Do you do it? Does it does it uh, float with, you know, every time you, you gain and cancel? I mean, how does that work? So there's there's a lot of different ways. But one of the things that I found out, especially with data, even if you're wrong in the way you calculate something, if you're consistent, you can see trends. It can help. Yep. So yep. that's that's very, very important. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that. how many people, you know, if a customer leaves because they sell their house, you know, that's it's mostly uncontrollable. You know, hopefully you can get back in there and, you know, quote unquote, retain the new homeowner. But if a customer cancels because of poor service or whatever, that's a controllable um, action. And that's like, do people really, are business owners tracking those lost revenues? Or are they tracking the reasons so they can really hone in? on you know what they can do to better uh or lessen their churn and better their their service or whatever the reason is that that they're seeing for tracking of the reasons right it's a mining of the data because data doesn't lie you know yeah yeah 100 percent agree with that so um 
we talked about the 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 the, the thing with uh, data analytics, right? So I'm in the finance business and and, and accounting business, and I have the the metrics that I look at. Uh, you know, Donnie's in the marketing business, and he has metrics that he looks at. But one of the things that that we haven't talked about that's extremely important, you know all of us have run companies before, is operational metrics. And that, I'm sure, working at PESPAC, you've probably had that, you know, drilled into your head. Uh, but tell us about, uh, you know, what goes into operational reporting, measuring the health of your company from that perspective. What does that supervisor or branch manager look at when he's trying to improve his, his uh, book of business? Yeah, I, you know, that's, you hit it on the head. The operational reporting is is like that just gives an owner or a branch manager or, or an ops manager huge insight into their into their well being uh, and the performance of that branch or that business. I mean, whether it's the technicians, uh, you know, the inside staff. I mean, there's so many different metrics you can you can measure, but it it all filters down to the bottom line. I mean, you really you know. Uh, one of the things I always kind of looked at and have learned from people like Donnie and others is, re is reporting on service completions. Great operational report to review consistently. Yeah, consistently, you know, reporting on orders completed, open orders, orders not serviced, callbacks, which that really uh, hurts the bottom line. Um, you know, having to send a tech back for a job that should have been serviced properly or, or to begin with, not really great for the business owner, you know. Another red flag of how a particular tech might be performing in the field. You're having a lot of callbacks from a single tech. So you know, it's you know, and I was going to say, I'll just make one quick point here because I think this is a critical point, especially in in pest control and in lawn care. Quite frankly, we are service companies. Okay, so by default, the number one item on the P and L, like the biggest item, is absolutely people, right? And not to say that's a bad thing. I mean, it's the way it should be, right? We are, that's what we provide is service. But what I think is hilarious is when I see a owner, I mean, just beating up a supplier, beating up a, I mean, they're, you know, over the 9%, right? Or over the 5%. Meanwhile, they got technicians running around, you know, hanging out, you know what I mean? Like they're, and, and I, you know, one of the, one of the critical things, operationally speaking, that I really look at, I still look at to this day, is what I call the utilization rate. Now, let me just tell you before I say this, this is a Donnie made up metric, okay? What it is, is it's, it is, did the truck stop and did it, did it, did it pull money or not? I don't care, you wanna call it a callback, a reservice, a production order, I don't care. Did it, did it make money or not? That, that's at the end of the day, again, trying to keep it a, as a bid, it's either one or zero. Either we collected revenue for that stop or we did not. And that utilization rate will tell you an awful lot about how well, in our case, I don't want to say we're utilizing people, but we are leveraging as best as we can. When that truck stops, we are making money. And that is one that you have to manage extremely tightly because, you know, it's very easy for a technician to become Santa Claus, right? Hey, I saw an ant on TV. Okay, Miss Smith, I'll be out and I'll treat, you know, I'll do it. I mean, and you just can't do that, right? And so you start having conversations. And so I think, you know, operational side, sometimes people kind of let those go. And what they don't realize is like, that's what makes the P&L work, right? And on the operation side. So anyway, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were going to say something. So, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I, I think that, that that's kind of interesting. We, you know, you were talking about the callbacks and, you know, if you, you know, uh, uh, customer expectations, right? If, uh, uh, 
um, you know, if, if your customer is okay with a few ants or, uh, you know, maybe some roaches, uh, it's, a, it's a big housing complex or something, and they're not going to call you for every roach. But meanwhile, there's a mansion down the block. There's one carpenter ant that are calling you. And how many times do they do that? And then you have to look at that at the end of the year and include that in your dollars per hour, right? Because those callback hours are are calculated. We have a we 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 have a client. This is kind of interesting. Uh, they were looking to sell their business, and uh, their labor was you know a little bit high, but they wanted to lower it. So what they wanted me to do is reserve the labor for callbacks. In other words, so my labor is, uh, you know, uh, 25%. They wanted to take 2.5%, put that on the balance sheet, meaning that they wanted me to remove it from the cost and put it somewhere <laughs> else so that when they did the callbacks, they recognized the labor cost. What does that do? That is an that that's that's known as creative accounting, and I didn't come up with it. So I I was I, I kind of felt bad because man, that's really slick. But everybody's going to know exactly what you're doing. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll just move it out. Of, we'll just move it out of the way. It's easy. Yeah, so yeah. easy. You know, we're, no. we're more profitable now because you know we're not accounting for the callback labor that's invariably going to come in the future you know but getting that back to an operational number i think it's really important because again if you're looking at that number in in and you have the capability and the infrastructure to report on that i know dan you do something pretty creative when it comes to um price increases right now if you know that right and let's just say you it i by the way i'm going to do this i'll just do it anyway there is a customer that we had years ago. Her name was Stephanie Donback. And remember the situation I said where someone saw an ant on the television, like there was a commercial? This was that kind of customer. We had done 15 callbacks in one year, in addition to four service calls, right? So 19 stops to this house. Well, her price increase was three times what she was currently paying. And she, I'll never forget, I got a phone call and she's like, Donnie. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry, Miss Dombach. It's just times are tough. And she's like, well, I'm going to cancel your service. I'm like, that's so sad. <laughs> that's so awful. <laughs> you know? And so my point here is, is that if you know that data, right? Because, Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about what you do? Because I think what you do is a genius in terms of doing price increases and looking and being able to compare. I'm like, this is what this customer is really costing me. And then, you know, because if there's someone there that's like they're on the service, I never hear from them. Everything's in the slot. I'm making plenty of money. The last thing I want to do is go on, you know, I mean, not to say I won't give them a price increase because I will, but it'll be minor. So you, you want every you, you obviously want to run a profitable operation. So there's a couple of ways to do that. If all of your clients, you know, together yield a profit, that's a profitable operation. But if you look at each client and make sure that each client is profitable, that will make your profit soar. And the way that you, in terms of price increases, yeah, you know, a lot of big companies, what they'll do is they'll just give everybody a 3% increase or everybody a 50%, 50 cents or $2 on it. And th that doesn't do anything. All that does is inflame somebody who you're making a lot of money on because you're nickel and diming them. And it doesn't take care of the customer like Mrs. What's her name? Mrs. Donback, Stephanie Donback. Because you can raise her by two or three dollars, but that's not going to do anything. So you got to look at the dollars per hour. And if you had 15 callbacks and and four regular services, how many 
hours did you spend? And there's a certain acceptable dollar per hour that you need to get. And you may have to double or triple or quadruple the, 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 the price. And you know what? If they leave, who cares? You were losing money every time you went out to see them. So, so that's, the, that's our approach to, to uh, price increases is to look at each and every customer as opposed to just looking at the whole operation. And, uh, and, and, and it's quite a bit of work to do it. But once you've done it, you'll see all of that money falls to the bottom line. And, and you know, the, those, those customers that you have that are 20 and 30 bucks an hour, because of all the callbacks, you'll see that uh, they kind of fall off and all of a sudden your profit goes up. So, you know, I'm thinking about that, you know, it goes down to, you know, route efficiency, technician efficiency, profitability. Uh, years ago, I had a customer when I was lived up in Chicago and, uh, I, you know, they were my, probably one of my largest customers and I always, Re, uh, believed in reciprocating services and, and so they were my customer and I was their customer but uh, their office is located down in a town called Elmhurst and I was about 40 miles north of that 40 minutes but they you know wanted them to do my pest control so they would drive literally 40 minutes north to service my house and then drive 40 minutes south we were the only account in that area that they were servicing wow. and I was wow. like <laughs> I tried to tell the branch manager uh, Tim, like, hey, you know what, dude, you're losing money every time you service me. I'll just find a little Try local. A check instead, and I'll go find somebody local. Right, so, you know, exactly. Right, exactly. So I literally, I he didn't get it. He's like, no, 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 And all about, they, it was churn, because, you know, the branch manager of the, it was a major pest control company, uh, major, major. And, you know, that churn actually hit his bottom line and his branch profitability and all that. Um, but anyway, it's a long story short, I fired them. Because I, it was too painful to watch this guy drive 40 miles north and 40 miles back south. I mean, that was two hours of windshields <laughs> in Chicago traffic. And so I followed them. And, you know, a few months later, that we were all together. They, you know, some of their managers and, and some of the leadership team were out uh, in the Chicago um, having meetings. And I was invited. And I explained to the owners, or not the owner, but the, the uh, leadership team, why I fired them as a, as a vendor. Uh, you know, that, that kind of sparked them to go back. And start looking at all their outlier accounts, ones that are not profitable, that because they have no other customers in the, in that area, um, and that that really is something that a lot of people should do as a business owner. Is kind of look at those accounts that are, I mean, I mean, if the tech is there's no other accounts out there, and the guy's spending two hours windshield time driving out there to service those accounts, unless it's hugely profitable, and the guy's out there for four or five hours at a time. Yeah, you got to start looking at that those those, yeah, and, those accounts. Andrew, you make you, you make a great point here, and and when I first got in the industry, this was really really common. I don't think it's as common now, but I think I know there's still some folks out there that are doing this. But you know, there are some folks who you know they get the orders at the beginning of the month, they give everything to the technician, and they say, "Figure it out, <laughs> get her done." You know what I mean? Get it done. Donnie, Donnie, and, it yeah. still goes on to this day. It does, yeah. trust me. Yeah. You and so have a you really know, tight non-compete with that technician. <laughs> yeah. Here, here, your, here are your 200 accounts. Go schedule a call and, yeah. and go service. Yeah, get her done. We'll yeah, we'll see you at the end of the month. Go so, get her done. So let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit because I have <laughs> never understood that. Or maybe it's just me being a control freak. Maybe it's both, right? Probably more me being a control freak. But when I first got in the industry, I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not going to have such – because I can't get them to return phone calls, much less, I mean, you know, are they going to really route that route the way I want them to? And so if, if, you, if you're currently doing that, what 
are the benefits of you actually controlling routing from from the office and and why is that important well you have you know this tech let's just use you know guy let's use a company that's got like 10 or 20 or 50 techs well he's only seen his route whereas in the office you're seeing where all your customers are located you're seeing all the routes of all your techs so you have a better ability to to really hone in and see uh, if there's overlapping of accounts, uh, those outliers like we just talked about, um, how much how much time is that tech uh, taking to service those tech, you know those accounts? I mean, you know, could it be could that tech be routed more efficiently? And and something that you know at, at WorkWave or Pestac, uh, we had a guy Antonio that was he was awesome, but he's the guy who actually wrote all the algorithms behind the route opt. Uh, he did a statistic, and I forgot, like, if it was nine stops, there was 368,000 ways to route that technician. And if you threw in one additional stop, 10, you were literally at uh, over 3.6 million ways to route that tech. So think about your inside staff trying to route these techs, or even a technician trying to route his own 200 stops for the month or whatever. There's no way you can, you can efficiently route. And then with those guys that are doing their own routing, you know, they, they'll say that, oh, Mrs. Smith needs, Mrs. Dombeck, I'll use her, needs to be oh, serviced yeah. every Wednesday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, why? Well, that's what she told me. Now, now if I call Mrs. Dombeck, I bet you anything, she doesn't give a shit what, excuse me, she doesn't care when she's going to be serviced. <laughs> I apologize. She doesn't care that's when right. she's serviced. That's when yep. the tech wants to service count because, you know what, his daughter's school is right around the corner. He can go and pick her up and take her home. Oh, yeah. so that's right. By the way, the only way that you have a chance of making that work with the tech uh, doing all his own routing is when he's getting a percentage of production as opposed to hourly. You watch your right. skip rate if you do that with an hourly employee, and yeah. it'll be it'll be crazy. But uh, yeah. that, that's interesting, Andrew. About the uh, you know he went to pick up his daughter, and and you know this, uh, Mrs. Dombach lived around the corner. You know so yeah. You know, and, you know, Dan, you, you've mentioned a number of times and, and it's, you know, it really comes down to that revenue per tech. And Donnie, I think your, your, your um, measuring is, I think that's what it comes down to is revenue per tech um, and revenue per stop. So, you know, if you look at a guy that's driving, I don't know, tech works eight hours a day and six hours on, on site uh, and only two hours of windshield time. I mean, that, that tech's efficiency or route efficiency is 75%. But take good. that... Yeah, that's awesome. But take a guy like the, the guy up that used to service my house. He spent, you know, hour plus driving up to my house an hour back and he had other jobs, other stops to service. He's probably that same eight hour day is probably on the road for four of the hours. So his route efficiency was 50%. Yeah, that's crazy. And there's obviously multiple ways to measure that. But yeah. we, we need to bring you back on, Andrew, because we, we are unfortunately we're out of time. And I would love to dig back into this issue of routing because it's so key. And I, I will tell you that I think this is an area where the door-to-door -door companies shine. Their yeah. routes are so freaking dense. I mean, they can park on a street. And anyway, another conversation for another time. Andrew, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. I, I, I don't know if what your experience has been, but I actually had a lot of fun on this one. Maybe because I, I talked a lot. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 no, I'm not about me. No, I'm not about me. No, I'm not about me. 
<laughs> this could have been like part two, and we could continue yeah. the conversation. Yeah, yeah we definitely. We, there's just we so much more. Have you back on board. Yeah, exactly. We didn't. We didn't get to. I mean, a fraction of what we what we were going to try to get to. But but it's been great having you on, um, and love uh, to by hear the way, more. By the way, Andrew's part of the PCO M&A PCO bookkeeper team. If there's anything that you want to know from him, so, you know he's got a lot of experience working with software, working with pest control companies and whatnot, please give us a call. If if we can do business, great. If we can, uh, you know, push more thought leadership out into the industry for an industry that, that's been really good to us, that's what we'd like to do and, and we offer that up. So. And if you just want to hear pest control stories, just give me a call. I love telling them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway. All righty. Well, it's been another episode for PMP Industry Insiders. Andrew, thank you again. Very, very great. Uh, podcast. I mean, thank you. And, yeah, you know, for all of our listeners, if uh, if you found this episode helpful, if you found the podcast helpful, please go and rate and review us on Apple and share us with others. We you know, our goal is to help folks in the industry create better businesses and ultimately, you know, bring our industry or not bring, but, you know, continue to elevate our industry. And with that, I'm signing off. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks again, Andrew. We'll see you now. Thank you so much.